This is section three of Mark Twain's Journal Writings, volume three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Gift from India by Mark Twain, as printed in The Critic. Also appearing in The Critic, Mark Twain on the Platform, and editorial comments about Mark Twain's wealth, and an announcement concerning Mark Twain's authorship of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. We have received from Mark Twain the following letter in reference to the offer of the Maharaja of Jaipur to present copies of the Jaipur portfolios of architectural details to public institutions of learning. We append a description of the contents of the portfolios, and give also a portrait of the Maharaja. Dear Gilder, Colonel Jacob has done this great work for love and has been at it several years, although his official duties allow him but scant time for other matters. The King of Jaipur, native title Maharaja, has taken a strong interest in this rich gift to the architectural world, and has freely furnished the money necessary to the achievement. The drawings were all made under Colonel Jacob's superintendence by young natives, they are pupils in the schools of art and protégés of the maharaja in the case of the sculptured adornments of tombs and mosques a peculiar method was adopted to secure accuracy sheets of soft india paper were wetted and then beaten into the sculptures with a brush when dry these sheets retained the sculptured shapes like an electrolyte skin the shapes were then traced with a soft pencil, and the pencil works transferred to flat paper by pressure. Then the patterns were inked and shaded. There was nothing further to do but reduce them by photography and reproduce them for the book by photolithography. These six parts are a rich mine indeed for the architect and decorator. The intricate and exquisite forms and patterns invented by the artists of the great days of the Mughal Empire are here in abundance, not as pictures for the ignorant to look at, but as working drawings of separate details for the student, the architect, the decorator, the artisan, to study, copy, and apply in his work. It is not a work for the drawing-room, but for the art school and the atelier. Its purpose is utilitarian. The design in view is to place the noble and gracious architecture of old India in hands capable of enriching newer worlds with it, and thus preserving it, for it is passing away. Time and neglect are delivering it to destruction, and there can be no resurrection for it here, for the circumstances which created it and made it possible will have no rebirth in India. With a fine liberality, the Maharaja proposes to give this costly book to public institutions, and my idea in writing this note is to convey that fact to our art schools and universities in America. I quote, His Highness the Maharaja of Jaipur has given permission to present a set of the first six parts to any public institution that applies for it for bona fide public use, if the applicants defray cost of carriage only and packing. R.S. 1-8. That is, 
one rupee eight annas about forty-two cents note we presume this refers to cost of carriage from india to london to america there would probably be a slight additional charge editors critic they can apply to w griggs and sons elm house hanover street rye lane peckham london and i would suggest and recommend that they send a courteous word of thanks to his highness the maharaja jaipur rajpurtana jaipur india twelve march eighteen ninety six mark twain jaipur portfolios of architectural details compiled chiefly from old buildings at or near delhi agra and parts of rajputana with short descriptive notes of the places from which they have been taken the size of each plate of first six parts is twenty-two by fifteen inches and of part seven eighteen inches by thirteen inches the details have been reproduced to a large scale so as not only to be interesting to the student but chiefly to serve as working drawings for the architect and artisan the arrangement of the portfolios is as follows part one copings and plinths fifty-two plates comprising a hundred and twelve examples of copings and twenty of plinths part two pillars caps and bases seventy-nine plates comprising one hundred and fifty-eight examples viz one hundred and twenty-seven of pillars and thirty-one of bases one in color part three carved doors sixty-six plates eleven representing inlaid ivory work printed in color comprising twenty-seven doors sixty-eight panels and seventy-four other details part four brackets sixty-nine plates two colored comprising eighty-six examples part five arches fifty-eight plates of which ten are colored part six balustrades fifty plates comprising fifty-one examples one in color many of the panels are filled with tracery part seven string and band patterns sixty-four plates comprising three hundred and twenty-six examples seventy-five in color all taken from native buildings in india the drawings have all been carefully done to scale and arranged together in parts each sheet loose so that different examples of architectural details may be readily compared and selections made most of these details are taken from buildings erected when the mogul dynasty was at its zenith and will be found beautiful in design rich in detail and at the same time applicable to many purposes in wood stone or metal the price of the above six parts each in strong cloth portfolio containing in all three hundred and seventy four plates with about six hundred and fifty four examples will be net r s seventy five packing charges extra part seven only price r s twenty five in india packing charges extra price one pound ten shillings in england the first six parts will not be sold separately only the seventh part a further series including the following is also in hand wall decoration including dados wall recesses and panels cornice and ceiling decoration parapets projecting eaves and finials these will be issued in portfolio parts as soon as complete 
the work has been prepared under the superintendence of colonel s s jacob c i e engineer to the jaipur state rajputana and the plates photolithographed by w griggs and sons elmhouse hanover street rye lane peckham from whom complete sets of six parts can be obtained for five pounds and part seven only for thirty shillings copies can be had on application to the superintending engineer jaipur state rajputana mark twain on the platform the sketch unfortunately perhaps for himself but decidedly fortunately for the people who have the pleasure of listening to him mark twain has been dragged out of his american study by pecuniary losses to the footlights of the lecture platform and the admiring gaze of his multitudinous readers it is quite twenty years since the author of huck finn spoke across the footlights and even at that distant date his lectures were very few in number so that the people who have seen or heard the humorist in public prior to his present lecturing tour must be very limited indeed perhaps it is a good thing that mark twain has been compelled to take to lecturing for a time as it will enable him to visit countries previously unknown to him and as he has already promised result in tramp abroad volume two being published in fact mark twain has so arranged his tour that he will not revisit any of the countries which formed such excellent scope for witty observation in his well-known book mark twain placed himself unreservedly under the care of that well-known colonial lecture agent mr r s smythe who has negotiated so many big stars through the colonies crossing from san francisco the humorist opened his tour in sydney in the middle of september his tour which will last a year extends over all the australian colonies new zealand mauritius ceylon and south africa he had an offer of two thousand pounds for ten lectures in london but for the present had to refuse it he will finish his colonial tour and get the resultant book off his hands before thinking of a trip to england as a lecturer or rather story-teller for the author objects to being called a lecturer mark twain is and has proved himself to be in his opening australian at homes a decided success like charles dickens he relies entirely on his old books for the pabulum of his discourses but unlike the author of pickwick he does not read long extracts from these books he takes some of his best stories the jumping frog huck finn the difficulties of the german language par exemple and retells them with many subtle additions of humor and some fresh observations in the most irresistibly amusing manner he is in no sense a disappointment as a humorist he starts his audience laughing in the very first sentence he utters and for two hours keeps them in a continual roar the only serious moments occur when with the unutterable pathos of which the true humorist alone is capable he interpolates a few pathetic touches which almost make the tears mingle with the smiles every story he tells serves the purpose of illustrating a moral and although for the most part he talks in low slow conversational tones at times he rises to real bursts of eloquence not the polished grandiloquent eloquence of 
the average american speaker but the eloquence conveyed in simple words and phrases and prompted by some deep and sincerely felt sentiment the author has the power of seeming to jest at his serious side just as in his books but there is no mistaking the seriousness with which for example he is moved by the remembrance of the iniquities perpetrated on liberty in the old slavery days amid which huck finn and jim the slave lived he makes the most unexpected anecdotes point the most unexpected morals but it is the recital of the old familiar stories without any moral attaching to them which pleases most coming as they do warm from the brain of the man who invented them mark twain steals unobtrusively on to the platform dressed in the regulation evening clothes with the trouser pockets cut high up into which he occasionally dives both hands he bows with a quiet dignity to the roaring cheers which greet him at every at home then with natural unaffected gesture and with scarcely any prelude he gets under way with his first story he is a picturesque figure on the stage his long shaggy white hair surmounts a face full of intellectual fire the eyes arched with bushy brows and which seem to be closed most of the time while he is speaking flash out now and then from their deep sockets with a genial kindly pathetic look and the face is deeply drawn with the furrows accumulated during an existence of sixty years he talks in short sentences with a peculiar smack of the lips at the end of each his language is just that of his books full of the quaintest americanisms and showing an utter disregard for the polished diction of most lecturers it was not is always twarn't with mark twain and mighty fine and my kingdom and they done it and catched and various other purely transatlantic words and phrases crop up profusely during his talk he speaks slowly lazily and wearily as a man dropping off to sleep rarely raising his voice above a conversational tone but it has that characteristic nasal sound which penetrates to the back of the largest building his figure is rather slight not above middle height and the whole man suggests an utter lack of physical energy as a matter of fact mark twain detests exercise and the attraction must be very strong to induce him to go very far out of doors ralph boulderwood called on him in melbourne and had the greatest difficulty in the world to persuade him to take a drive with the exception of an occasional curious trot as when recounting his buck-jumping experiences mark twain stands perfectly still in one place during the whole of the time he is talking to the audience he rarely moves his arms unless it is to adjust his spectacles or to show by action how a certain thing was done his characteristic attitude is to stand quite still with the right arm across the abdomen and the left resting on it and supporting his chin in this way he talks on for nearly two hours and while the audience is laughing uproariously he never by any chance relapses into a smile to have read mark twain is a delight but to have seen and heard him is a joy not readily to be forgotten the humorist is accompanied on his tour by his wife and charming second daughter 
r c b the tribune says it may not be generally known that mr charles henry webb was mr clemens first publisher evidence of which is found in a volume still extant but bringing much beyond the published price entitled the celebrated jumping frog of calaveras county and other sketches by mark twain edited by john paul published by c h webb it is also interesting to know that that book was refused by three leading publishers of the day eighteen sixty eight to whom it was offered mr clemens wrote to mr webb from darjeeling india on february sixteenth i and the family have finished our duties and pleasures here and are returning to calcutta we have lectured and seen the himalayan mountain that is twenty nine thousand feet high and have met a man who conversed with a man who knows the man who saw a tiger come out of the jungle yesterday and eat a friend of his who had just put on his breech-clout and was starting out to pay calls we expect to see that tiger to-day for we have to pass right by that spot and he will probably want some more the announcement of mark twain's authorship of personal recollections of joan of arc is officially made in the sketch of mr clemens by his friend and pastor the rev joseph h twichell of hartford with which the may number of harper's magazine opens the frontispiece of the number is a portrait of mark twain engraved from his latest photograph and the paper is illustrated with sketches by child hassam of the home of the humorist at hartford and his study at elmira End of a gift from india and editorial comments from the critic saturday april twenty fifth eighteen ninety six read by john greenman